Okay, that's time to go. Welcome to session number two of our root study, uh, the parables of Jesus. And what's a parable? Uh, you can probably turn me down just a little bit up there, Suzette, if you're up there. Turn me down just a little bit. A parable is God's way of revealing the heavenly truths by earthly illustrations. Uh, that's my definition. Uh, I grew up with this uh, earthly story with heavenly meanings. So uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the parables, um, the mystery. And the parables are mysteries. And we're going to read that as we start tonight. And I pray this simple prayer that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures. Because to understand the scriptures, to know the scriptures is to know you. For you are the word. You are the word of life itself. So tonight I pray in Jesus' name that you would uh, give us understanding of this mystery of these parables. In Jesus' name, amen. Why a mystery? Now well, here we go. This isn't a parable. This is why he does parables. In Mark 4, verse 10, later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders. Secrets, mysteries, parables. Look, look at verse 12. So that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. And when they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Now, that verse 13, that parable he's talking about specifically was the parable of the sower. And, and what's the mystery? Why is it that some people see and hear and understand and the other people see and hear the exact same thing and they don't understand? There's a mystery. And one of the ways that you unlock the mystery is what we're doing right now. We put ourselves in front of the truth, believing that the power of the word can transform, unlock the human heart so that I can have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that will receive, believe, and obey. So here we go. Let's unlock number four parable out of 35, uh, the lamp. This next parable immediately follows the parable of the sower that we covered last week. Here we go. Mark 4, 21. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden eventually will be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I am amazed how many times that statement is in Scripture. Anyone with ears to hear should hear and understand what the what the, what's the Spirit says to the churches is how he puts it in Revelation. Verse 24. And then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive even more. You want to unlock this mystery of the parables? Listen carefully. 
The, notice what he says. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more understanding. Why? What's the context of that? Because you're listening. Blessed, is, blessed are he are those who seek after this knowledge, that seek after righteousness, for you'll be filled. It's in the, uh, in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who seek this knowledge, this understanding, this wisdom. Seek the righteousness, and you'll get what? You'll get filled. Get, you, he'll unlock so that the more you look, the more you listen, the more you try, the more you're going to get it. Now, there's an opposite to that. Verse 25, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, okay, it, what if you're not listening? Even what little understanding they have will be taken away. Why does he use parables? Those who are listening and hungering and thirsting for righteousness will receive more. Those who are not listening, even what they have will be taken away from them. So why parables? If I go back up to that text above, he says this, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they'll learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they'll, they'll not understand. Otherwise, they would what? Turn to me and be saved. So we're trying to unlock a mystery. So here we go. What is the seed and what is the light? Okay, this comes right after the parable of the sower. And now he's talking about this light. You don't light a, uh, you don't light a lampstand and then put it under your bed, right? It, you probably catch the bed on fire. It's a bad idea. So what's the, what's the seed? This is an earthly story revealing a mystery of heaven. So what is the seed and what is the light? The seed is the Word of God. The light is Jesus. Both represent the Word. And, and here we go. This is it. The seed and the light both actually represent the same thing, the same person. Jesus is the Word. The Word is Jesus. Jesus is the light. The light is Jesus. So what are we doing? You are to sow the seed and shine the light. You don't take the light and hide it. You don't get embarrassed because you've got the light. You don't get embarrassed or ashamed of the light or the seed. What? We are to sow the seed and shine the light. This is the mission of the church. I like to put it like this because it keeps it simple. We're supposed to, every one of us, we're supposed to tell the truth and turn on the light. Our life's mission is tell the truth, turn on the light. Tell the truth, turn on the light. This is the truth. And when you tell the truth, the light comes on. It comes on. Does that mean everybody's going to come into light? No, that's not what I said. But the light comes on. It's on. What they do with it will be up to them. Tell the truth, turn on the light. The light of truth must penetrate the darkness of the human heart to overcome sin and death. There is a light that when it touches the darkness of the human heart, it does a supernatural work. I don't know how it does it. I'll get into that in a minute. Let me give you a, a picture. We are all possessed. Yeah, I said that word. We are all possessed by the spirit of Satan until a strong man named Jesus comes into us and casts out that evil spirit. Do you doubt that? 
Do you, do you doubt that? No, no. We are all possessed. Do you know what possessed means? It means you belong to. Some of y'all saw that exorcist movie in the 70s, and you've never gotten over this word, possessed. Okay? Possessed seems to only mean you belong to. We are possessed by an evil power, an evil spirit. And we will remain under the control of that evil, dark, powerful spirit until a strong man has the power to enter inside of us and cast that spirit out. Now, who do you know that can do that? Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ. So, keep that in mind. The seed and the light represent the only power that comes inside of our bodies with significant power to cast out this darkness, this evil spirit, this possession. And when the spirit and the light come to set us free, they produce, produce a fruitful harvest. They don't just come and do something in me. Of course they do something in me. And then they start to bear fruit. They start to reproduce. They start to multiply. What? The seed and the light multiplies. Why would anyone hide the light that rescued them from eternal darkness? This, what's this parable? What is it? Would you light a candle and put it under your bed? Put it under a basket? No. Well, what are you doing with this? What are you doing with this? Would you go to work and not discuss this? Would you go to work and not talk to somebody who's dying and going to spend eternity in hell because you're afraid of their response when you turn on the light and tell the truth in front of them? Would you light a candle and put it under your bed? You see, it's real easy to look at the parable and say it makes perfect sense until it has application in our personal lives. And then it's kind of sobering. Why would anyone reject the seed that allows the Holy One's entry into our hearts to drive out the evil one. There was a time in my life that a preacher spoke this. He spoke life. That preacher spoke words. The words are supernatural. They are seeds, perfect seeds. And he spoke them, and two things happened. The seeds and the light penetrated the portals of my soul. And when they hit the darkness of my own heart, something supernatural occurred. Satan had to move. He had to move. Let me say it again. Why would anyone reject the seed, the Word of God, that allows the Holy One's entry? The, Holy, the seed is the Holy One's entry into my heart so that I, he, he, because I can't, he drives out the evil one that has taken up residence in there because I'm possessed by this spirit. I belong to this spirit unless the strong man sets me free. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That's the same message, all seven churches in Revelation. Notice that Jesus connects those who listen to my teachings to the Lamb. Anybody find that interesting? Because I do. Jesus is the one that connects those who listen to my teachings, and he connects it to a light, to a lamp. More understanding will be given. More light will be given. More Jesus will be given. What is it? It's called spiritual maturity. It is to be a lifelong learner, to be a lifelong grower, 
Um, I've often heard this analogy. Everything in God's creation is either growing or dying. And that includes us. Either you and I are in a mode in which we are growing or we are in a mode in which we are dying. In the we are in the process of growth or decay. Growth or decay. More understanding is growth. More light is growth. More Jesus, more fruit is growth. What happens if you refuse to listen? You end up with less light. Until eventually, less light, listen, here's the danger, less light becomes no light. A fruitless darkness. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about this, these seeds. These seeds, these seeds were sown by the gardener to produce a crop. But if you refuse to listen and you hide the light, suppress the seed, suppress the light, which means I don't want to hear it or I play some religious game with it, I'm not hungering and thirsting for the righteousness, then eventually there's this empty darkness. And I always think of this statement of Jesus, and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? Because you're in the darkness and you don't even know it's dark. You think it's light. How deep is that deception? John 8, 12. John spoke to the, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Well, let's just ask a logical question. Well, what if you don't follow him? then you're already in darkness. You, you don't need to get to the darkness. You're in the darkness already. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in the darkness. Because why? Because you have the light that leads to life. It's not just light. It's light that leads to life. But what if I don't listen? What if I don't hear? What if I don't believe? Then I get this empty darkness. What is at the end of the road? Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself because that's the harvest that comes later. All right, a parable, the revelation of heavenly things. There is no darkness in God or in God's presence, okay? What he's, what he's revealing to us is why would you take a light and put it under your bed or cover it with something? The light is representative of Jesus is the light of the world. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the seed that sets people free when it penetrates the human heart. So why would you... Um, why would you suppress it? Why wouldn't you let it shine? Hiding or suppressing the light and truth is never the work of God. So let, let, me, let me put it the other way. Let me flip it over. Do you think God wants you to take uh, the Bible to your workplace and put it in your drawer and never get it out because you're afraid that your boss might think you're one of those kind of people? Where, did, where would that come from? Where would that feeling come from? Where would that little sense of angst come from? Where would it come from? God, do you think, yeah, God told me I shouldn't get that out of the drawer. Well, you know that's not true. So where does it come from? Where does that come from? It's not God. It's Satan. It's the adversary. He, he doesn't want any of us to what? Sow seeds. But why wouldn't I sow seeds? He doesn't want any of us to share this light. Why? Because he's the enemy. You know, I've, come, I've thought years ago 
you know, if Satan is who God says he is, he's a created being who's destined for the lake of burning sulfur, and I'm convinced he can read, so he knows what his future is. So how could he hurt God? In, in essence, how could he hurt God? He goes after God's children. You know, one of the ways you can get me is go after my kids, go after my grandkids. So he, he comes, and he can't affect God. It's God's God. But for now, he has this freedom to do things to us. What? To keep us from this abundant life of offered in these seeds, in this light. We should celebrate the seeds. We celebrate the light, right? We sow them. We shine them. We glorify in them, right? But that's not what the church is doing. If the church was actually doing that, we wouldn't be in this mess in the American culture. Who would be ashamed of the light as it is revealed in Revelation? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Revelation 21, and, and looking forward, who would be ashamed of this light? The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure as gold, as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city, in heaven, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need for a sun, the city has no need for a moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city. And I'd really like to get into this, but I don't have time. Notice that there's two illuminations in the city. The glory of God the Father, and it specifically says, and the Lamb is its light. In this new heaven and new earth, it's not going to just be the glory of Christ. It'll be the Father and the Son together, both in illumination, both on the new earth. Now, that'll be the teaser. I'm going to talk about that way down the road somewhere. I'm working on something. So he says this, the nations will walk in its light. And the kings of the world will enter the city in their glory, in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. Light, 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 light. There's no darkness. Now, if that's the future, if that's the future, light, 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 then wouldn't we embrace the light now? If that's the light then? If that's what everybody's wanting to go to heaven, right? Right? Well, you know, there's not darkness there. You don't hide your candle there. So why would you hide your candle here? Mark 8, 37. Jesus says, is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message... What is me and my message? What is me and my... If anyone's ashamed of me and my message, what's me and my message? It is the light and it is the seed. I'm the light of the world. The seed is what? And the sower goes out to sow the seeds. It is the word of God. Me and my message, okay? So what happens if you're embarrassed by the light and the seed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message... In, this adulterous and, in these adulterous and simple days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I don't want him to be ashamed of me when he comes with his angels. I, that's the most horrible thing I can comprehend. What's that song you learned when you were a kid? I hope you grew up in church, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? All right, parable number five. By the way, these are really growing wow tonight. At least they do in my life. Parable number five, the growing seed. Anybody see a trend developing here? This parable immediately follows the parable of the lamp. 
Verse 40, uh, 26, Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. This is a different parable, okay? But there's a lot of seeds going on here. The kingdom of God, what are we talking about? The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he sleep, while he's asleep or awake, doesn't matter if he's asleep or not asleep, the seed sprouts and grows. But he does not understand how it happens. Well, if he doesn't know how the seed sprouts and grows, why is he sowing seeds? Because he knows about seeds. He trusts that seeds are going to do what seeds do. You do not have to understand how seeds work to sow seeds. Somebody say hallelujah. I don't know how it works. I don't. I confess, I do not know how you can speak this word and transform a human heart and cast out an evil darkness in somebody's life. I don't know. I just know it works. It works. It's powerful. Everybody listen. Verse 28, the earth produces the crops on its own. This is Jesus' parable. First, a leaf blade pushes through, and then the Head, heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer, he's the one who sows the seed, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. So do you know how seeds work? How they grow and produce a harvest? No, neither do I. I can open up a bag of those seeds and look at that little rascal and say, I have no idea how you do that. I don't. You know, there's life in that thing. Little bitty thing on your finger and there's life in it. Let me, I went and did a little research. And this is, as uh, far as I know, true story. It's called a Judean palm, uh, Judean date palm tree. That seed was found in an excavation in Masada. I've been to Israel twice, and I went to Masada twice. That was Herod the Great's fortress on this big giant hill. Amazing place in the middle of a wilderness. When they did excavation at Masada, they found seeds that had been put away of a Judean date palm. In 2005, now by the way, those seeds were planted, were, were put there in that uh, in Masada uh, 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, somebody put those seeds there. In 2005, they took those seeds, some university took those seeds from Masada and planted them in dirt and put water on them. They sprouted. They sprouted. 2,000-year-old seeds and produced what their, that seed produces. How? No knows. You know, with all of our science, we can put something out on the moon, send something into Mars. We don't know how that seed works. You know, really, we don't know. I mean, we can hybrid seeds. We can cross them. But you know what? We don't really know how that works. It's amazing. So do you know how the Word of God, which is the seed in Jesus' story, do you know how the Word of God pierces the human heart and brings repentance? I don't. Do you know how the Holy Spirit works through the light and the truth? I don't. I, you know, I'd like to be able to sit here and act like I know how that works, but I don't. The seed of man is placed inside of a woman, and the seed and the egg, that union produces a person. 
a new life. That's how humans, seed, reproduces more humans. That new life from human seed put in a, in a woman's egg, that new life is born with an expiration date. All right, this is important. I'm going to draw this agricultural over to the human side. Every child born from the seed planting of man in his wife is born with an expiration date. It is a perishable produce. It's perishable. Why? Why is it perishable? Why isn't it eternal? Why does it? The seed, listen, this is big. The seed is corrupted. It wasn't always corrupted, but it's corrupted. Adam's seed became corrupted by sin. This is the core of the gospel message. And because Adam's seed was corrupted because of sin, humans can only reproduce perishable produce. It perishes. It comes with an expiration date. So we got a problem. And you think God doesn't know why we got a problem? That's why Jesus comes to the earth. Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Perish? Perish? He doesn't want us to be perishable. He wants us to be permanent. But we're all perishing because the seed that we were born from is a perishable seed. So what do we need? All right? Da, 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 da. We need a new seed. Right? We, we need a new seed. We need another Adam. Another Adam to come with a new seed. Everybody from the first Adam is a corrupted seed, and we all born and we all die. We need a new seed. What's it look like? Oh, my goodness. It's light and it's truth. It's light and it's truth. And that light and that truth is planted in our hearts. It's like that first parable we dealt with last week. It's new wine. There's the new seed. Put in a newly reborn wineskin and something happens. It's supernatural. Jesus looks at Martha in a graveyard and says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will live, even if he dies. Well, that's a big change in seeds. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What's the seed? Whoever lives and believes in me. The light and the truth has penetrated the human soul. John 3, verse 5. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and born of the Spirit. Now, notice two things, water, Spirit. Uh, yes, I do believe water is a picture of water baptism. Spirit is a, obviously a picture of Christ in me. Water, a baptism, Spirit is Christ coming in me at baptism. That's one of his promises. No one. All right, is this complicated? No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the Spirit. Why? Why is that true? Because you've got to get a new seed. Here's why. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit, here's the new seed, okay? 
Here's the new seed. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. I want you to look at that. There's a new seed. It's not from Adam. Uh-uh. I'm not born again into Adam. Verse 7, next page. So don't be surprised when I, Jesus, say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit, and you can't explain how that seed miraculously gives you new life. But it does. I cannot explain how preaching the Word of God penetrates a person's ears and gives them a heart of faith that gives them new life, a new creation. I have no idea how it works, but I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep preaching. You see, Jesus connects the Spirit and the wind, which you cannot understand, to being born again. He makes the connection, not me. That's His connection. In other words, you're not going to see how God does it. You're just going to believe that He does do it so you keep sowing seeds. I've been preaching and sowing seeds for about 30 years now, and I still don't know how the seed grows. I don't know how it produces life. The kingdom of God is like a farmer. Here, go, Let's go back to the beginning. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. And he doesn't understand how it happens, but he still keeps farming. It is all truly a work of God. And yet God still calls us people to become seed sowers. Turn on the light and tell the truth. Get out there and sow some seeds. Church, it's our calling. The biggest part of this parable, I wonder if you've noticed, is the harvest. In verse 29, he says, And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. God's created order, this world order, and I'm going to call it seed time and harvest. God created seed time and harvest, what you and I know as the, the world's order, how things work in this world we live in. You know, God did that after the flood of Noah. And it will continue until the last day. Seed time and harvest was something, I, I, what was it like before Noah? I don't know. I know that when Noah's flood happened, God instituted something. I'm going to read it to you. That a, a, a world order, a way that things happen on the earth, was, began, at least it's documented in the time of Noah. And it's going to stay that way until the last day. So here we go. Let's go over and look at it. Genesis 8:20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sac this is after the flood, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and the birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice, and he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. Tell me you are not possessed by darkness from the beginning. Everything were bent toward evil, even from childhood. I will never, God said, I will never again destroy all living things. And as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest. All the NASB, NIV say seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, there will be an order. 
This is really important. There will be a godly created order, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, as long as the earth exists. Now, you and I read Revelation earlier, and there's going to come a time there won't be a sun, moon, and stars, but the earth won't exist then. It'll change. So we'll see time and harvest then. So what's the final harvest? Jesus says that as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle. What's he, what is it? Are, are we talking about wheat here? No, we're not talking about wheat. This, these parables are revealing the heavenly future of all mankind. So what is the harvest? What is the final harvest? What will it be like? Well, I can give you some glimpses. In Revelation 14, 4, I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He has a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hands. Does it, does it, do I have to tell you who this is? He's, he's Jesus, okay? He's got a sickle in his hand. I, everybody stop for a moment. I want you to imagine the Son of God, and it's harvest time. It's the end of the world, and he's got a sickle. You know what a sickle is? One of those things like this that you come and you cut with? It's sharp. Verse 15, then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, swing the sickle, for the time of the harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. That's coming. And while we, that, that's what's going to happen to the crop that's on the earth. And you and I have been given clear instructions. Church, we are the body of Christ. We are the blood-bought children of the Most High God. And he told us while we wait for this harvest to come, we're supposed to tell the truth and turn on the light. And we don't take our lights and hide it under a basket, and we don't take the seeds and put them in a sack somewhere and hide them in the garage. No, we're sowing seeds and shining lights, right? That's what we do. The mission of the church is to seek and save the lost before the harvest time comes. I have often said here at the church that if people in the church actually ever get to the point where you believe in the imminent return of Christ, two things will always happen. I'm convinced that's what changed my life in the very beginning, the calling of God in my life. I believed in the imminent return of Christ, so two things naturally happen. Number one, I repent of my sin. Any sin in my life, I think Jesus is coming like today, tomorrow. Any sin in my life, man, we're going to get clean. <laughs> we're dealing with it. And number two, I'm going to go tell somebody. I'm going to tell somebody because somebody's coming to swing the sickle. And you know what the church is supposed to be doing since the very beginning? Two things. You purify your life, and you go tell somebody before the harvest that there's going to be a harvest. Tell me, what do you think the parables were going to reveal? It's just telling us what's going to come, that the kingdom of heaven is like. Almost all these parables, you ever notice? And the kingdom of heaven is like. And the kingdom of heaven is like. All right, let's go to Galatians 6, 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, they're going to harvest something. 
When the sickle comes, you're going to harvest something. What is it? Decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit. Now, notice the Spirit. The Spirit is the born-again part of my life. That came into me. That's the seed and the light and the truth that came in and got me reborn. But those who live to please the Spirit, they're going to harvest everlasting, everlasting life from the Spirit because the Spirit is the new seed. It's the new seed. So let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing. What's the condition? Don't get tired. Don't get weary, church. Don't think, well, I wish you'd have been here by now. Don't get tired. Don't get weary. Because at the right time, you're going to reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. So don't give up. And what do I see a lot of people in the church doing? They're giving up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. That's sowing seeds, especially those of the family of faith. I told you last week, I'm going to say it again, the seed is perfect and the seed is powerful. It may begin small, but it produces a harvest for God, 30, 60, 100 times that which is sown. That brings up the next parable in the sequence from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus parable number six. The mustard seed. In fact, I'll tell you, of this first two sessions, this is the one that kind of knocked my socks off. Mark 4.30. Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate the kingdom of God? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shape. Do you see the context of this mustard seed parable? It's the context. It's the next one. We got the sower. Look look at the context. We got the sower of the seeds. We got the lamp. We got a seed that grows. We don't know how it grows, but it just grows. Day or night, it just keeps growing. Followed by the smallness of a powerful mustard seed. This is how Jesus describes the kingdom of God. The smallest of all seeds growing into the largest of all garden plants that provide shade and nests for its creatures. We humans struggle with this starting small concept. What? We want God to start big. If he wants to get small, do it later. Let's start big. The Jews, let me prove it to you, the Jews wanted a king. And they wanted a king now. And yet he came like a mustard seed. Today, why doesn't Jesus just appear in the clouds and reveal himself in a big way? If I were in charge, that happened tomorrow. Why don't you just come in the clouds, just show everybody who you are, and preaching the gospel after that would surely be easy, right? Do it in a big way. Instead of this small seed mustard seed approach that you seem to use. Do you know that the small seed approach is pleasing to God? Jesus reveals why it's pleasing. In in Luke 10, 21, at that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he says to his followers, uh, and he's, he's talking to his father, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. 
Remember when we started tonight? We asked the question, why parables? Because some people are not going to see. Some people are going to see. And Jesus says, Lord, I thank you, Father. I'm, I'm thanking you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the real smart people. You, from the wise, you've hidden these things. And for I thank you for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Now, I want to tell you, I think, and I'm going to show you why, I think the whole mustard seed concept of what God did on earth to save humanity was pleasing to him because the ones who think they're so smart are going to struggle the most with getting it. And it pleased him. No, that's not my position. That's his position. So let's, let's keep going. And, and by the way, you know what I hear when I read that? He who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand what the Spirit says to the churches. You know who is reluctant to have ears to hear? People who already think they know everything. They don't listen much. You see, there was a time in the Old Testament that God did things in a big way. Go read Genesis to Malachi. There was a time in the Old Testament he did a lot of things and he did them in a big way. But he also said in the New Testament that there was going to be a, a change. And look at Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Long ago, and by the way, that would be Old Testament. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways. Can, can we stop for a moment? Look, you know, he, he came in a, in a a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to Egypt. Right? He's on the mountain of burning fire when Moses is there. He, he spoke to angels who would just come up and walk up to you and tell you things, right? Um, he had a donkey communicate with somebody. That's pretty big. But notice in the, in the times past, he did it in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, no, you and I are living in the final days. Now in these last days, he is doing something different. He's going to speak through his son. Now, stay with me. This is really important. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And when he has cleansed us from our sins, here's this new seed. When he cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of God gave him is greater than their names. Now, in the past, he spoke in um, many big ways. Many, he shook the earth, Okay. But now he's speaking to his son. And I'm not saying that Jesus can't speak in a big way. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that now everything's going to funnel through a single source, a single application. In these last days, he's going to speak to his son, through his son, through his son. How his son does it, I don't know. He can do it many ways, I suppose. But it's going to come through Jesus. He's going to be the funnel through which it applies. And why did that blow my socks off? Here, here it comes. It all began with one small child in Bethlehem. What are we looking at? A mustard seed. This little thing. It all began what? What will change planet Earth forever began with a small child in Bethlehem. Coming to a very dark world, a very small mustard 
seed indeed. Of all the ways, what's that song you hear at Christmas time? This is such a strange way to save the world. What? To send this little seed down here. That seed, we know him as Jesus, grew. One little seed deposited in the womb of Mary. Born in Bethlehem nine months later. Listen, he grew up. And at the age of 30, he chose 12 men to follow him. And they received the seed in their hearts. Listen, so now you got 13 seeds. They began with one little seed. If you were going to save the world, is that how you'd do it? I'd be dropping seeds from helicopters. <laughs> I wouldn't be doing this little one-at-a-time thing. Those 12 men became 120. And then at that point, Jesus left the earth, took his seat at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And what happened to this small mustard seed beginning? Now listen, I, just for the sake of time, I want to look at the future seed harvest. I want you to understand something. Listen, and the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. This is Jesus' description of what heaven is. So it began with a single seed of God placed in a virgin's womb, born in Bethlehem. One seed, one light of the world, one little bitty, bitty point. I want you to imagine in the future, in our future today, going to our future. I want to read to you the future when the harvest is going to take place. Listen, here we go, Revelation 5, 6. And then I saw a lamb, and that's Jesus. And it looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. And he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. That is Jesus the Son taking the scroll from the Father. And when he took the scroll, when Jesus took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And each one had a harp, and they had held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Then they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. Let that sink in for a moment. You, singularly, one, and I want you, this is the mustard seed previously planted in Mary's womb. And now, in the future, he takes the scroll from the Father, and heaven says what? You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal. God planted that seed in Mary, and if you know anything about gardening or farming, the seed must be planted for it to produce a harvest. God's seed planting was Jesus, his son, planted upon this earth, the smallest of all seeds. Now, you are worthy to break its seal. Why? For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people from God, for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. Now, one seed did this. Every tribe, every people, every language, every nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom. This one seed has now created a kingdom of priests. Where'd they come from? One single seed. 
and they will reign on the earth. These seeds are going to reign on the earth. What? This harvest of seeds that came from the one mustard seed. And then I looked again, and I heard voices of thousands and millions. There's a lot of English translations on that. So, uh, let me just tell you, it's a lot of people. I saw thousands and millions of angels, angels, notice the word, around the throne and the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, somebody would read this, and no matter what translation you want to look at, and they're going to say, how many of those millions surrounding the throne singing this new song, you are worthy, how many of them are angels and how many of them are people? It's a good question. Because it looks like heaven is filled with a lot of people and angels, thousands and millions, right? And I'm all for that. Let me tell you, if I get a vote, I'm in. A uh, bunch of people. But if I ask the question, how many of those millions are people versus angels, I'd, I'd have to say, I don't know. So let's look at what Jesus says when that question comes up. You know, it's called, it's just simply called the truth. You can take it for what it's worth. Luke 13, 22, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. And someone asked Jesus, Lord, will only a few be saved? I'm going to tell you, that is an amazing question. If I were there, I'd ask the question too. Yeah, that's one I would have had on my list too. Lord, how many are going to make it? Are only a few going to be saved? And what does Jesus say? If there's ever a question that Jesus answers in the Bible, you ought to pay attention to this one. Can somebody say amen? amen? If there's ever a question that is relevant to every one of us, and Jesus gives an outright clear answer, this ought to be one I pay attention to, because here's what he says. How many are you going to make it, Lord? Work hard. Sounds like farming. Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it'll be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us, but he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, but, but Lord, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets, and he'll reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. They never had ears to hear. Who are these people? Who are they? They never had ears to hear and understand what the Spirit was revealing. And they never received the new seed. He never received the new seed. Notice the words of, and I put Jesus, actually it should have been Mark. Notice the words of Mark at the end of the mustard seed parable. Verse 33. Jesus used many similar stories compared to the mustard seed. Many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with the disciples, he explained everything to them. Now, I'm going to do something. I want to jump to the Gospel of Matthew for this final parable tonight. And it definitely fits into the other ones from tonight. 
and it's parable number seven in our list of 35, and it's similar to the one we did earlier, the lamp and you are the light of the world. It's Matthew's version, and it's got some different, it's got more in it. So we're going to finish with that one tonight because this one does this. It takes all the other ones and does this, puts them together. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. Who's he talking to? Church. He's talking to me. He's talking to you. You are the light of the world. You are like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Do you see how all these parables tonight reveal the same thing? The kingdom and the king. The light, the word, the seed, God places them inside of our dark hearts and something supernatural occurs. Darkness turns to light. Evil, instead of walking away from God, evil turns and faces God. This is, I wonder if this is the biggest of the biggest. Evil, darkness, never comes to the light. If darkness came to the light, it'd be light. So darkness has to stay in the darkness. But when the light and the seed penetrate the human heart, the darkness of the human heart that has constantly walked away from God for the first time turns and faces God. It's called repentance. It's called repentance. Repentance is to turn around. My back has been to him because I'm in the darkness. And if you face the light, you get light on you. And light on you makes darkness get out of you. Right? It's called repentance. Something happens. The light, the word, the seed. God places it inside of our dark hearts and something supernatural. The darkness turns to light. Evil turns to God through repentance. And God is glorified. His mercy is revealed to anyone and everyone. This is called good news. This is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus went around spreading by way of parables. Some people got it. Some people didn't get it. And the same is true today. There is so much about the election. So much about the election. And, and if you study Scripture very deeply, you're going to come, at some point in your life, you're going to come to this question. Many are called, few are chosen. There's an election. There's this, this foreknowledge of God. There is so much about the election of God that I don't understand. Listen, I admit, there's so much I don't understand. And it all goes down to this statement that I've already read over and over and over. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand what the Spirit says to the church. If you, why does he speak in parables? Because some people are going to get it and some people aren't. There's an election part in there somewhere. I, where is it? Where does it start? Where does it stop? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you what I do know. And you could strangle yourself to death with what you don't know and miss what he has made clear to us. Here's what he made clear. 2 Peter 1.8. The more you grow like this, in other words, spiritual maturity, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the parable I read a minute ago, when he comes for the harvest, why didn't they get in? 
I don't know you, and you don't know me. But you talk in our streets. No, I don't know you. I don't know you. Listen, he says this. The more, the more you grow, I'm talking about this growing in the knowledge of the Word of God. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and they're blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do I need to read that again? Work hard. This farming business is not easy. This sowing seeds is not easy work. It's hard work. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and God has chosen, do these things. What? Work hard. Be diligent. Know the scriptures. Continue to grow in spiritual maturity. Do these things and what? What's he say? And you will never fall away. Somebody say hallelujah. That's my list. Do these things. So, well, explain to me the election. I can't explain to you the election because I don't know. But I know this. Do these things and you'll never fall away. And you won't have to worry about the election. You won't have to worry about it. You can ask him when you get there. Verse 11, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm looking for the grand entrance. Maybe the NIV version is what I grew up with, and it is more familiar to me. Let me read it from the NIV. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never fall, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How can I be sure of my salvation? How? my calling and my election, do these things. When that guy asked Jesus, how many are going to be saved? And Jesus said, work hard to enter the narrow gate. Work hard. Why does he say work hard? Why? Why does this say work hard? Is hard work going to save you? Nope. Sorry, doesn't work. It's not that hard work saves you. It's that hard work is what it takes to keep the enemy from coming in and taking away that which God has freely given you. Deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, disheartened. That's his business. Grow to spiritual maturity. And now listen, I've got an audience tonight that obviously on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week, there's a million things you could be doing. And there are over 500 people on this campus tonight studying God's Word. Somebody's speaking life into these people. There's life. There's seeds and light penetrating the portals of the human soul and landing on good, fertile soil. That's the church. Always has been, always will be. It will produce a harvest. Walk in its light and you'll never have to walk in darkness. Now, one last point. Those who listen. You remember we started tonight? Those who listen are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus in the Beatitudes says those who hunger and thirst will be filled. Hunger and thirst for what? The truth, the light, these marvelous seeds that are perfect being sown into our lives. Those who refuse to listen, they're going to lose everything. He said what you have will be taken away from you. Everything. Jesus told us, one last point. He said, the fields are white unto harvest. They're ripe. 
I don't know that we've ever lived in a time in which the fields have been more ripe to a harvest than right now. And Jesus told us, he tells me, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. Why? Because I believe the, the, the sickle of God's final harvest will be soon. And there are still some that are on the edge. There's still time to get them in. There's still time. There's still the final harvest hasn't taken place where they'll be ushered out into darkness. And we, the church, are supposed to be the city on a hill shining this marvelous light, sowing these marvelous seeds before that final harvest comes. So tonight I'm going to pray by asking the Lord of the harvest to send workers to the fields. And you know who those are? You and me. You and me. And let me prove it. There is somebody in your circle of influence that doesn't know Christ. There is. I got them too. Just start with one. Just do one. And, and will they accept if you sow the seed? I don't know. But sow the seeds anyway. I don't know how the seed works. And I surely don't know which one's going to take it and which one's going to reject it. So what do we do? Just keep sowing seeds. Let's pray. Father, I pray you are the Lord of the harvest. I pray that you would send workers into the field. We need more people before the final harvest to send workers into the field to share these uh, pure holy seeds of truth and the light that sets people free. May your church indeed be your church. I pray this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.